And I've got something in my heart I want to share with you today. Uh, it'll be probably a little bit more of a share than a preach. Mind you, preaching always, uh, always jump into preaching pretty quickly. Uh, we're going to release the senior highs for your discipleship small groups with Paul and Vic in just a moment. But we want, there's just the first part of my message that we actually, Paul and I were discussing. We want you to be able to see the first part of the message. And then we will, we will jump in deeper into things. Um, yeah, just presence of God is so strong, which I love. We're so thankful for that. Um, pre-service prayer, just want to say thank you to everyone who was here 11.15 for pre-service prayer. If you're kind of catching up to speed, it's something new that we started this month. And I feel like it's just really fueling what God is doing. So I want to invite you. Uh, prayer is so key, so powerful, so important. Um, it's really key for where God's taking us, what he's doing. And there's different ways we can engage in prayer, but one of the key ways and one of the real practical ways is going to be in, uh, in pre-service prayer. Just come 15 minutes early, and then we stir, stir things up, set the atmosphere, set our hearts to seek God. So it's going to be really good. Uh, our word for this year is faith. Everybody say faith. So our word for this year is faith. And today I want to talk to you. Uh, it's very much stemming from my heart out of just some things that have been happening in the body of Christ, good things, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but I want to talk to you about having faith for a move of God. And I just I want to share and I want to stir our hearts today uh, just to lean into what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. And just when we talk about faith, you know, we really believe faith is a key word for this year, standing in faith, growing our faith, walking by faith, you know, set, you know kind of having a heart of faith. I want to just kind of lean into what's going on. I want to talk about having faith for a move of God. Um, I'm not sure how many of you, I'm sure many of you have, but how many of you have heard of what's going on in Asbury and what they're calling the Asbury outpouring? So wave hand. I know we have. I know actually several people in the crowd right now have actually been there and have actually been there physically. But let me tell you a little bit. Uh, I won't be able to do it justice, but let me tell you a little bit of what's going on. There's a small university in Asbury, Kentucky, or Asbury University uh, in Kentucky. Um, and um, it's a school of about 1,800 students. Uh, now, this school is an interesting school because um, I've studied moves of God that have happened here before. Uh, it, it's it, it's uh, old school. It's been around for at least a century. I, I didn't even dig back to when it started. But throughout the last century, they have key times where they have moves of God. One in particular was in 1970. And it was during the uh, Jesus People movement, uh, which, by the way, if I can put a shout in, there's a great movie coming out this week in theaters called Jesus Revolution. And uh, it's actually amazing. It's, it's a real faith-based story. Um, and it's set in that time. And I'm just hearing, like, amazing, amazing things about amazing reviews. So I'd encourage you to get out to see it, support it, uh, where uh, it, it's going to be really good. But they... Um, part of what happened in the late 60s and early 70s, and some members of our church family were actually came to Christ during this move or during the outflow of this move, but it was called the Jesus People Movement, and it was kind of all the whole hippie countercultural movement with the hippies, and then a whole ton just started coming to Jesus and started getting saved, and it was huge. I mean, it was on the front page of Time Magazine. It was just all over the place about this move of God. So this led to Asbury University, and they, they actually had a chapel service that just didn't stop and went for about 10 days. 
of 24-7 and there was repentance and there was prayer. And, and that's not the only time it's happened in this space. So about two and a half weeks ago, they, they had a regular chapel service and God started moving and they didn't stop. Um, and um, I was reading a little bit of the behind the scenes and they were talking about how they actually, somewhat normal chapel service, they finished it up. Um, it was funny, I, I heard a guy, he said he interviewed the young man who shared the message that day. He was a young man, he was one of the students. And he told me, he said, yeah, actually, it wasn't a very good message. He said, I didn't prepare well, I was lazy. So, so, that is, so it was just this kind of inauspicious beginning, if you could say that. Uh, but then some students stayed around and just this presence of God just manifested. Because, you know, we know God's omnipresent, he's everywhere, but his manifested presence comes in places and times and seasons. So from what I read, there was some students that said, man, revival, like God's here, revival's here. So they started running around the classrooms and interrupting profs and saying something's happening, revival's happening. And the students came back and they started to worship and they started to pray and they just didn't stop. And they kept going. They went through the afternoon and I was reading about the administrators and the staff were kind of, okay, what do we do with this? I mean, it's, it's like it's happened historically, but it wasn't like contrived. They didn't try and make it happen. It was just, and as I heard one student said, she said, it's not like we tried to make it happen. Nobody just wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to leave. And so, so they started going. Then they thought, okay, well, let's let them go all night. You know, we'll, we'll let them go all night if they want to go all night. I mean, it's kind of like, how are you going to be in a Bible college and be like, no, you guys need to stop praying and worshiping. You need to go, you know, but there's logistics you're trying to think through. I, I think about all those things because I tend to be on that side of things. And, and then it started to spread. Now, one thing that's interesting nowadays, when you have moves of God nowadays, it's going to be different than any of the ones we've talked about historically because of social media. So it got on TikTok, it got on Instagram. Actually, Miranda was the one who told me about it. Miranda was leading worship this morning. She texted me, she said, Pastor, have you seen this? She got it to me like a day and a half in, and it just captivated me right away. And so I started just following along, and, and people started coming. So people just started coming from around the state. And they're going 24-7, and they're trying to figure it out on the fly. So all my administrators and organizers in here, just imagine all of a sudden, and you got people coming from everyone. This is a town of 6,000 people with two traffic lights, one subway sandwich shop, and, and people just started, well, then people started coming from around the country. People started driving in. People started flying in from other nations, and, and this thing just exploded. Um, it was interesting because it was, some people, it was by Gen Z for Gen Z. Uh, the majority on the stage, if not all, again, I wasn't there, so I don't want to say in absolutes, but was under 25. And, and if you picture it, I'm, I'm going to show you a clip in a second. It's this old, like, 100-year-old chapel. No lights, no smoke machines. Like, sometimes just somebody up there on a guitar, somebody up there on a piano, and just, they worshipped, they prayed, they read the Bible out loud, people confessed their sins and got right with God. And this thing just kept going. And it just kept moving forward. I, something I chuckled about was they, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people appreciate about is there's just been like, there was no hype. It was just, they almost purposely were like, we just want to make sure it's just, so there's this one, they had to start announcing. Uh, I said, I really laughed about this. They said, if the Holy Spirit moves you to jump or to dance, if you're in the balcony, don't do it because it's 100 years old. That's, that's what they had to say. But I understand because I remember being in Bogota, Colombia in the Coliseum with, you know, 
15,000 young people, and they all started to dance. And this is like a concrete full coliseum. And I remember I had to walk out for a second. It's literally shaking. It was actually quite terrifying because you got these concrete just shaking. So they said, please, don't jump. Don't dance if you're in the balcony. Like, it was this whole thing, but they just kept going, and it was worship, and it was prayer, and it was confessing our sins. God, I, I know people personally who went. Who's, who's gone in here? Tori, I know Tori got to go. Crandall's, you guys got to go. So, I mean, pull them aside, though, or maybe we'll figure something out, kind of dig deeper into it. But it was just, it was just this beautiful move that God was doing. So I wanted you to be able to see it. So I kind of started going on YouTube, scouring the internet, trying to find something I could show you guys just so you could experience a little bit more. So I want you to just uh, check out this. It's a short news report from CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network. And maybe just give you a little bit more of a sense of what has been happening. The revival at Asbury University in Kentucky is now in its 10th day, and it's attracting national attention as thousands of people are traveling from around the country to join in this move of God. And students tell CBN News they just don't want to leave the revival meeting, and they explain how God has ministered to them. Wendy Griffith brings us the story from Wilmore, Kentucky. This revival is officially in overflow mode. Look at this line behind me, about a half a mile long. Folks from all over the country waiting patiently to get into Hughes Auditorium here at Asbury University to experience this historic revival for themselves. God is here. God is here and he's working right now. Come get you some. You hear me? Well, that's exactly. I was like, I'm 29 year old Joa Perez drove all the way from Florida to ask God a simple question. I came here and I'm like, Lord, if you want me to go back to preaching, if you want me to plant this church that I've had in my heart and for years to plant, I need someone to prophesy over me right now. Joe's prayer was answered when he ran into a well-known local preacher. He prays over me and he literally just declares what I've been praying for years over my life. And I thought that was insane. Regent University! Jeff Gossman with Regent University drove 10 hours from Virginia Beach after hearing about what God is doing here. Well, everybody at Regent right now, including all the executive vice presidents, they're all crying out for revival. You know, they're having extra prayer services over there right now. They, They want the presence of the Lord on campus. And, um, and so we're just so thankful that they sent us here, you know, to just get whatever we can to bring back. On Thursday, the persistent rains did not dampen spirits for those waiting to get inside. You know, uh, when I was saved, I got the Holy Spirit, but always looking for more and really hoping when I walk through the door, it's poured out on me. 21-year-old student body president Allison Perfader was there when revival broke out. Because um, you just didn't want to leave. It's not that anyone was saying, oh, let's see how long we can last. Let's see how, you know, like we just didn't want to go. And I, I mean, I had, I came in, I had a lot of like anger issues. I like really struggled with my anger and I was able to talk with like God first. And it's just like that never would have happened like on my own time. It's been just a really hard couple of years. Mm-hmm. And not just for me, but like a lot of my friends. Yeah. And I just felt like the Lord was releasing me of a lot of bitterness and anger that I'd had just about all kinds of stuff, even some of it towards God. And so I would say for me personally, the biggest word I can use has been a very, very healing experience for me. 
So how do you explain what's happening here at Asbury? I would just say there is a tangible presence of God's peace, joy, and a freedom to worship and adore the one true God. CBN News, Wilmore, Kentucky. And so, if you, uh, as I said, I know people personally, I had a pastor friend who, uh, who went down, like, it started the Wednesday and he went down the Monday. I was actually mad he didn't invite me to go, but I, I, was, I was in Dallas with Pastor Sharon, so it worked anyways, I shouldn't have been mad, but, you know, I was like, you still could have invited me. Uh, he's like, well, you just came off sabbatical. I didn't know for sure if, uh, but I couldn't have gone anyways. But I remember he texted me and they were planning to go in for a couple hours and go get some in the hotel. And he said eight hours later, he was still there. And he said, I'm just crying, man. He's like, I'm just crying, like just tears because this is just so God and God's moving. And so if you've been tracking with things, they've actually at about the two week mark, they actually had to wind things down because the university in the town was just getting completely overwhelmed. They said last weekend they thought they had fifteen to 20,000 people come into the town. And, uh, and, and so they, they felt like, you know, they've kind of had to shift gears and they've had to close the services there at the auditorium but trying to open something up in an area with better infrastructure. But, but what particularly excited me about it as well too was it just said here in one report I read something similar is happening at Cedarville University in Ohio and there are reports of extended prayer, singing, confession, and testimony at Baylor, Belmont, Campbellsville, Hannibal LaGrange, Valley Forge, Milligan, and other schools. Um, Lee University, talking with people, it's just the fires are beginning to spread. Amen. The fires are beginning to spread. And so, I don't, you guys want to now? Okay. Let's get the, we just wanted our, our, our senior highs to see it. So Paul and Vic will head out and all our senior highs can head out for your discipleship group. I'm sure they'll be talking some more about this stuff as well in, in discipleship groups. You guys can head out. Uh, but this really stirred my heart. Let me tell you a couple reasons why. As I said, I, I found out it was happening pretty early on. I was reposting some things. I was texting friends who got to go. I was like figuring out, okay, what's this like? And just wanting to know more. And here's, here's why it stirred my heart. Number one, it stirred my heart because it really spoke to my personal history of, of being touched by moves of God. Um, I grew up, my teenage years were all through the 90s. So I'm a, I'm a 78. I was a teenager all through kind of into the 90s, into the late 90s. And I was very, very touched in my walk with God by the moves of God coming out of Catch the Fire. I actually didn't even go a whole lot. I wasn't, I wasn't over there in Toronto. We lived on the other side of the city. But my youth group got really touched by the move of God that I was in. And we'd have a Christian Life Center, Lifeline Youth Ministries. We'd have like 150 youth on a Wednesday night. And I remember God just began to move. And we'd be worshiping. We'd be praying for one another. There'd be physical manifestations. I still remember there'd be times like midnight that parents would come in. They'd have to literally pick up their kids because they're still out in the power of God and they literally have to put them in the car and take them home so they can go to school the next day. I mean, it just marked me. And then we caught a caught in a crossfire, so to speak, of what was coming out of Brownsville. And I don't know if some of you remember, but there was a great move of God at, uh, was it First Assembly? First Assembly in Brownsville. And I remember one of my, well, he's become one of my good friends. He was, and he was our pastor's kid. 
and we were in the same high school, we went to the same Christian school, but we didn't really get along very well because, you know, it, it just, he, he just, he, he was, I was kind of on track, he was on track, but he went to Brownsville, his life got totally turned around. I remember he just got this vision, he came back, Dave came back, he got this vision, and said, we need to do an outreach at our high school, and next thing you know, someone donated money, somebody else donated money for pizza, and he got like 500 kids from my high school out to an outreach in our gym. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fine. At the moment, you're just like, yeah, okay, this is cool. But thinking back, you're like, man. And then we moved into, in some of your part of this journey, the CWL days where we planted a church. Joel actually reposted that video this, uh, this week on social, just some of the, some of the clips. But we, we had this move of God, and I realize now I didn't even appreciate it for what it was. But we do these Saturday night services. I was like 23, 24, 25. Everybody else was younger than me except my parents. Maybe somebody else was sprinkled in there. People just come and say, this is awesome. When's the real service? And we'd be like, oh, this is it. They're like, you do a great job. Who's the senior pastor? I'm like, oh, that's, that's me. I'm the senior pastor. Right? And sometimes they wouldn't come back, but that's okay. Uh, but we just would be worshiping and praying and, and we'd be going again to midnight. Parents wouldn't believe their kids had gone to church sometimes. They're like, you're lying to me. You did not go to church because nobody stays at church that long. But it was just, it was kind of like she said in the video, we just didn't want to leave. We were just so, so my life was marked, not just, and guys, you know me, I, I believe in, in, in discipleship and studying the word and, and all these things. These are all good and important. They're all important parts of it. But there's something about being touched by God. There's something about these encounters with God that they don't replace any of that. They actually just help tie it all together for you in a way. And especially as a young person where sometimes I didn't know the answer, but I knew I'd experienced God. So you can't get me away from that. I'm going to learn and grow and figure out, but there's this place of encounter. So, so it stirred me because I saw this, but I, I, I also saw some places I'd been. I saw prayers I'd prayed when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. And so it stirred me because of that history. It, it also stirred me because of the prayers I've been praying for the next generation. It stirred me because of the prayers I've been praying for my kids. It stirred me because of the prayers I've been praying for your kids. Pastor Sharon and I were talking about it. I can't remember. It had to be several months ago. But we were just reflecting on how we were both impacted. At Pastor Sharon's church, she was at Life Center in Ottawa, and they had something, what was it, 40 days ablaze? And revival had touched, and God's move had touched their church. They just did 40 days straight of services. She talked about how in her youth group, a whole group of them over a summer, at what, 16, 17 years old, a whole group of them committed to go to the church and pray at 6 a.m. every day over the summer. Now, I have some teenagers. I have a teenager. You're getting a teenager out of bed at 6 a.m. to go pray over a summer. God is moving. <laughs> Frankie, get some adults out of bed at 6 a.m. to go pray. God is moving. Get me out of bed at 6 a.m. every day to go pray at the church. But, but this was kind of the atmosphere that was forged. But I was saying to her, I was saying, where is that for this generation? Where can they go? Where are they seeing God move? Let me read you a couple of verses. Judges 2 verse 10 says this, And all that generation also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This is one of those verses that just, I don't know if you can say a verse haunts you. It's not really the right application. But it, 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 it sticks with me. 
Because so often what happens is we have a generation that experiences a move of God. It marks us. So many of you in here have been marked by different moves of God, marked by experiences, encounters with God. And then what we do is it locks us in and we ride the momentum of it. But for the next generation, they maybe hear about it, but they've got to experience it. They've got to walk it out. And too often we lose a generation because we're riding the momentum of a previous move instead of pressing in for a move of God right now. And I believe what my prayer has been, and I know for so many of us, is it's, God, I'm thankful for what you've done, but we need something now. We need more than ever, with all that's happening in the world around us, the assault that is coming against this generation. We don't just need good talk, but we need a demonstration of the spirit and of power for their lives. But see, it starts with with people who are going to be hungry for that. So I was so marked because I was watching this generation, like that generation, worshiping, praying, seeking God. And it was interesting, I I was reading somebody talk about, this is a real veteran prayer leader, and he said he had talked with a friend, and Fred said, yeah, when you come, because he got there, he said, you're not going to see a big kind of Pentecostal charismatic kind of... He said, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of hurt and broken kids who've been beat up by life over the last number of years, and they're crying out to Jesus. But who takes responsibility? Because it's not on, here's what it is, guys. It's not, it shouldn't be placed on the next generation to somehow try and find it. It's those of us who've lived it who say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice and pray and contend, not just for myself, but for the sake of a generation, that they will experience him. And it's not going to look like it looked for me. It's going to be a new thing that God's doing, but that we have a heart for the generation to experience God. A couple more verses, Psalm 71, 18. So even to the old age and great hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation your power to all those who come. Psalm 78, verse 6, and the next, and it's talking about the the works of God, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I think one of the things that God wants to stir in us, family, is there is actually a responsibility. It's not enough just for us to stop with the move of God in our lives, but we have to have a heart that says, I want to declare this to the next generation. I want to be a bridge. I want to be someone who contends so that what was my ceiling becomes their floor so they can go even further in God in what he's doing, but it's having a generational heart. That's why if you go into Deuteronomy and it talks about the great commandment, it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with mind, all your mind and all your strength. Now, most of us stop there because that's the part Jesus quoted. But if you go into Deuteronomy, actually says, and you shall sit with your children and you shall teach it to your children. And as you walk with them and as you talk with them, and it goes on to talk about it. And what's interesting is in the Hebrew, there is no break between those two thoughts. In other words, the great commandment is actually loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, and then doing everything 
everything you can to get that to the next generation. Because if it's passed from one generation to the next, not only does it not die out, but there's a generational blessing and exponential growth because what one generation does in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. And right now we're seeing that in wickedness, but I'm looking forward in righteousness. And what we did in moderation, the next generation prays and seeks God and goes after him because why? Our ceiling that we fought for and we prayed for and we contended for becomes their floor so they go even higher. But it's that heart for the generations. And I want to encourage you because some of you are listening to me and maybe you've got kids, you've got people and you're they're not with God right now. Let this be a season that we say we will declare your works and they will experience him and they will go and this will be a place for even prodigals coming home. But that's what we're about. It's not just about come have a nice service, do this and do that. It's about we're saying, hey, we're contending for this. It marked me for that reason. It also marked me, excited me, stirred my heart because straight up, I'm just looking at the world around us. We live in a broken world, guys. There's brokenness, there's hurt, there's pain. There's a lot of darkness. And if we haven't figured out nice church services, don't do a lot about that. But Jesus does. And the power of God does. Now, every time I watch the clip, I, it gets a little dusty in the room. I tear up a little bit. Watch the, one young man who's just like, it's been a hard couple of years. He's like, it's been hard. Because it's been hard. I think most of us don't even realize how hard it's been. We're, we're still processing and unpackaging the grief and all that's happened and the frustrations and the, the injustices and all the things that we've walked through and tried to wrestle with for the last couple of years. And then we watch a world that seems like it's just spinning out of control in so many ways. And I pray a lot about that. And sometimes I feel overwhelmed by that. Some days I feel discouraged by it. Some days I feel like John and James tell Jesus, just burn them, just fire from heaven. I mean, you're just, it's just all this emotion comes in. But but the answer is, the, the answer, and I, I don't say this flippantly, the answer is Jesus. The answer is the presence of God. If you study history, a lot of us have this picture, and please, like, school yourself so you don't buy into this lie, but we, most of us buy into this lie because it's just we tend to see things in short chunks that we're just kind of careening away from God and culture's going away from God and it's just going to go down, 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 and that's just the way it is. But yeah, if you look at historically, it actually goes a lot more like this. Right, like in the 1800s, Christianity was at its lowest ebb in England. They said there was, was 20 people at Christmas Day service at St. Paul's and 10,000 prostitutes on the street. Child labor was everywhere. Slavery was the place of the day. I mean, it was a wicked culture in so many ways. The injustices that were there, but there was a man, two men named John Wesley and Charles Wesley and some others that rose up with the vision of God. And they pushed through a lot, but they saw this move called the Great Awakening. And secular historians, not Christian ones trying to spin a nice story, secular historians are saying that religious movement is what stopped basically England and the UK from going off the cliff. That movement was actually at the root, Wilbur, Wilbur, William Wilberforce, all those who were beyond the abolishment of slavery, it came out of that revival in that movement. Was it perfect? No. Was it still messy? Definitely. But moves of God can shift and change things. 
1850, in the U.S., where there was the prayer revival started by Jeremiah Lamphere. We got businessmen together, and they started praying in New York City. And it happened in times of shaking, right after the stock market had crashed. But within four or five months, they said at least 10,000 men and women were gathering at noon hour to pray. And it started spending to other cities. And they believe over a million people got saved over the next couple of years because of that movement. Coming out of a crash, but watch this, leading into a civil war. It was a time of unrest, but many who died on the battlefields on both sides knew Jesus because of what had happened in that revival and what happened, what God did. Guys, what I'm saying is we're in a world that's broken, but God is not overwhelmed by that, but he's looking for people who understand it's not going to be nice religion or nice services. We need a move of God that's beyond what we can even imagine, but it's what he can do. And so that's why my heart gets stirred because you just see this university and, and then it starts to spread. And I'm just praying it spreads more. I'm praying the fires just start springing up everywhere. Uh, so that's, that's kind of my first segment. My second segment is, so what should our response be? As we said, we've, we've got people who've been there. Some of us, you've been kind of tracking along with it. Others, this is the first time you're hearing of what's happening. Um, so I was praying about that and just saying, okay, Lord, what? And, uh, and the Lord brought me back to a verse, a verse that I'm sure most of us know. A verse that we could say is a very core verse when you talk about revival or moves of God, but it's 2 Chronicles 7.14. And 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. I want to start with the heal their land part. We've already talked a little bit today in the message of just what's going on in the world around us. God's heart, though, is to heal the land. God's heart is to bring healing. God's heart is to bring healing to Toronto. God's heart is to bring healing to Canada. God's heart is to bring healing to Western culture. That is God's heart. And when we talk about being people of faith, that's where we need to put our faith. Now, but you, but for me, sometimes I work through a lot of emotions. And it's so easy to fall into being judgmental. It's so easy to fall into uh, being angry. It's so easy to fall into cri being critical. I mean, there's all these different emotions, but yet the heart of God is for healing. The heart of God is that we would see healing in our land. The heart of God is that no matter how dark it is, no matter how, how wicked things get, our battle's not against flesh and blood anyways, guys. Let's come down off any spiritual high horses we're on. The only reason we're not there believing certain things, saying certain things is because we have Jesus. That's it. It's, it's him in our lives. It's him in us. But there's this heart for healing in the land. And I believe God wants to bring healing. God wants to bring supernatural healing to individuals, to marriages, to families, to communities, to cities, and to nations. That's the heart of God is to bring healing. And so if the heart heals. But I love the second part I want to pull from this verse. It says, if my people... A lot of times we want to say, oh, these people, this, that, government. 
But God says, no, no, if my people. Yeah, but what about all out there? If my people. God say, I'm looking for my people. I'm looking for the light. It's not just fighting the darkness, it's turning on the light. If my people, everybody say, if my people. But you know what, what grips me about that as well is there is a qualifier in there. If my people. In other words, we have a choice. God is God, but he's chosen to partner with us and he's looking for people who will make the choice. If Toronto City Church. If put your name in there. We have our part to play. Now God's part is a big part. Our part is a very little part. But God still looks for us to do our part. If my people. Could it be family that one of the enemy's strategies against us is to get us so angry, so bitter, so fighting back and forth, we're totally losing sight of our call to be his people in the middle of a situation. If my people. Everybody say if my people. And then there's just four things here. And uh, if Eman wants to come back, he wants to come back because I want us to spend a little bit more time seeking God today as a church. So there's, there's four things he talks. Number he says, humble ourselves. I think it's a season for us to humble ourselves in a new way. But here's what I realized as I was speaking to first service this morning. I don't want to assume I even know what humbling myself means. Like I, I do in some levels. And, and I, I do have some theological understanding of humbling yourself. And I could do a breakdown for you. But I, I think in this season, we have to be very cautious about leaning on what we think we know rather than going to God with open hearts and saying, God, teach me to humble myself. Teach us to humble ourselves. What does it look like for us to humble ourselves? What does that look like? I'll tell you, it doesn't look like talking about how terrible we are and we're just lowly worms and this and that. That's not humility. That's not what God says to humility. But what does it mean to humble ourselves? Now, I can't tell you one of the antithesis of humility is, is pride. Will we humble ourselves as we worship? Will we humble ourselves in prayer? Will we humble ourselves in obedience? Will we embrace humility? Will we set aside our pride? Will we truly admit our need of him? Guys, it's human nature. You know one of the reasons why most of the time you find revivals in times of shaking? Because a lot of times when things are good, we're good, and we think we did it and we got it okay. Or we think that our, our, our religion and our efforts can somehow make a difference. And so often it takes a time of shaking for us to humble ourselves and say, God, we need you. We cannot do this ourselves. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is not talking about just, oh, being poor in this area of your life and this and that. It's talking about recognizing I have nothing, he has everything, and I'm just constantly dependent on him. But he's also my father, so everything he has belongs to me. But I remember where it comes from. Everybody say, humble ourselves. And he says, pray. That we'd pray. That we'd be people of prayer. And I believe in this year, God wants to stir a deeper spirit of prayer in every one of us. We must reject the notion that prayer is just for a few just for the intercessors, just for the Holy Spirit grandmas who 
pray over in that corner. And you're like, oh man, if I want God, I'm going over there. But otherwise, I don't know because I haven't had a great week. I don't want to prophesy what I did last week, right? All that kind of, no, but prayer is for all of us. We're called to be a house of prayer for all nations. See, I'm not, I'm not looking for a magic formula, guys. I'm not looking, well, just A plus B equals C, just do this and do that. You know, there's this journey of humbling ourselves, being a people of prayer, seeking his face. That's another one. I want to go back to God and say, tell me what it really means to seek your face because I don't want to think I know and then find out one day I was so far short of what does it really mean to seek your face. But I will say this, where's God as priority in our lives? Now I know we're all supposed to say he's number one. So that's what you say, right? That's the whole point. But guys, can we really challenge ourselves? Are we really seeking his face? Some people would spin it. I don't, I don't mind it. They seek his face, not his hand. And talk about, but how often are we here more for what we get than we are for him? And if we don't get what we want, we turn our back on him. Right? It's being a people that seek his face. To me, it's about priorities. Guys, for so many of us, God is way down our priority list. I don't know, that's hard to hear. Because like, no, no, God's not on my prayer list. Okay, let me see your date book. Let me see your checkbook. Let me see how you live your life. And I'm not here to be your judge, but you look at it and you see where you actually invest your time, your money, your energy. Guys, we live in a culture right now that for me to get up at 6 a.m. to get my son to basketball practice every day of the week and spend thousands of dollars driving around the country to go to tournaments is okay. But to come to a prayer meeting at 6 a.m. is kind of weird. I'm not against that. I'm investing in myself, but I'm talking about priorities here. You spend $10,000 on a vacation, that's totally fine. Give $10,000 to missions or into the kingdom. Oh, that's kind of strange. I don't know. You're getting a little too crazy about this right now. God's not the priority. And if we're seeking his face, it's returning him to the place where he's on the throne. Am I against vacations? Of course I'm not against vacations. Go take a good vacation, but where's the priority? Where is the priority in our lives? Because when we seek his face, it means he's the priority. So I don't pretend to have all the answers. I'm actually going back to the drawing board and I'm saying, God, I don't want to just assume I know what it means to seek your face. Teach me to seek your face. Teach us what it looks like to seek your face. Come on, somebody say, seek his face. And I love this. It says, and turn from our wicked ways. One of the hallmarks of every move of God, you go and study, it's people getting their lives right. It's people coming in repentance. It's people get repenting, getting sin out. Not just calling it an ex- uh, a weakness. Not saying, well, you gotta understand, it's not that big of a deal, but it's actually saying, no, I want to live for Jesus. I want to live the way he's called me to live. I want to put these things aside. And there's this place of turning from wicked ways. It didn't say feel bad for your wicked ways. It said turn from your wicked ways. Because that's what repentance is. Repentance is not feeling bad and continuing to do it. Repentance is turning. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know that young lady, Allison, who is the student body president, I read another quote where she said this. She said, I know this camp is very well. It's small. 
And I know exactly which students on this campus hate each other. Those are the people I've seen praying together, singing together, hugging and crying. This has been totally life-changing. It's not just emotional services, but it actually affects the way we treat each other. It affects our marriages. It affects our parenting. It affects the way we walk. We, we, we get our lives right because of the move of God. And so, as I said, today is more of a share. But here's what I want to figure out. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there's times and places that his manifested presence comes. And his manifested presence comes when he's welcomed. His manifested presence comes when he's desired. I mean, I love you got a bunch of these students. Like, I laughed. The kid said, yeah, I didn't even preach a very good message. I was actually lazy in my preparation. But something about there, and, and there is this, there's a side of God where there's times and places where he steps in, but there's also this time and place where we say, okay, there's some things that God does. We can't make it happen. But how can, we, how can we paint a big spiritual bullseye on the top of this church? How can we paint a spiritual bullseye over our lives? And how can we say, God, we, we, we want, we're here. Like the word says, the word of the Lord, he seeks to and fro throughout the earth, seeking a people on behalf of whom he can show himself strong. How do we say, God, here. Here, you can show yourself and be half strong on us because there's a city that needs healing. There's families that need healing. I got some kids that need to encounter you in a fresh and real way. There's some stuff in our nation right now and religion is not going to cut it. Nice songs are not going to cut it. A Christian worldview, even though it's important, is not going to cut it. What's going to cut it is your presence and your power. And how do we paint an X or a bullseye and say, God, we're here. We don't care. We, uh, we we just watch your move. If it starts in a church down the street, we don't care. We just know our city needs you. We know that people need you and we want to humble ourselves. We want to pray. We want to seek your face and we want to turn from our wicked ways. I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to hang out with those kind of people here at Toronto City Church. And I'm not talking about, oh, when we do this next week, this will show up or this will happen. I don't, maybe we, we, we just keep doing it and we just keep cultivating it and we let God decide the rest. But we say we are going to do our part and our part is to humble ourselves. Our part is to be a people of prayer. Our part is to seek your face. Our part is to turn from our wicked ways and not even so we can get a revival, but because you're just worth it. You're that good. You're that awesome. You're that holy. And we just need you. And that's the kind of people we need to be. But here's the bottom line, guys. Is we all have a choice. We all have a choice. If my people. Everybody say, if my people. I wish God wouldn't give us a choice. I wish he'd just like take us over and say, you're going to seek me no matter what. And I'm a, But he says, no, if my people. If my people. And so my prayer as we close saying, we're just going to go back to a little bit of time of worship and prayer. Will we say yes? Who will be one of those people that say yes to him? I don't even know exactly how to humble myself the way I think I need to, but I'm going to go after him. He's going to show me. And I need to grow in prayer because I'm just not at prayer where I need to be yet, but he's going to 
caused me to get there. And I don't even know what seeking his face really looks like. It's so distracted by so many different things, but I'm going to press in and receive his power. And I'm going to just repent of everything and just get myself right with him. But who will say yes? And guys, can I just, one last thought to encourage you. Most of us don't say no, God, I'm not doing it. Stomp our foot and walk out. Here's how most of us say no. We just kind of, we, we passive aggressively. So sometimes we say, well, I'm not saying no to God. Well, yeah, but, but here's what some of us say no by saying later. But not today. Not right now, I got too much going on. At some point I'll get there and we just keep pushing it off. That's how most of us fall into the trap of saying no. So my prayer for each one of us is let's say yes. Let's be those people. And let's go on this journey with God and ask him to teach us and show us and lead us and guide us. And let's believe him for just something that he wants to because it's breaking out. And I believe we can just say, God, we're just here. We're pressing in and we want. We got all church prayer on Friday night. And if you believe this stuff, get there because we need to get into it. And we need to say, okay, we're going to create it, space. And we're gonna, but we're going to go in it here. So here's what I'm going to ask the team to come back. We're going to worship. And I want you to set your heart. Those of you online too. I didn't even say hello to you. Hi, everybody online. Uh, say yes. Like, just, that's it. And I'm not even going to tell you how today. Sometimes say, okay, well, everybody stand. Or everybody come forward to the front. Uh, today, you pray. We're going to worship. And when you're ready to say yes, you say yes to God. And then you do whatever saying yes looks like for you. Does that make sense? Can we do that today? You just do whatever makes sense for you saying yes, but we're going to say yes to God today. And we're going to say, we want to be those people. Teach us how. Show us how to be those people. And so, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, just even as we've been stirring, and you've been stirring this for us, God, we thank you for Asbury. We thank you for what you were doing there. Father, we thank you for what's been spreading, and we pray just that it spreads to churches and colleges and universities, God, and, and houses where people are holding home gatherings and, and parks where people gather, whatever it is, God, because we need it. Our nation needs it. Our world needs it right now. They don't need dead religion, but they need a real God who really moves and who really touches lives. And Father, teach us and show us how we can be part of this, God. We want to humble ourselves. We want to pray. We want to seek your face and we want to turn from our wicked ways. And God, we thank you for a move of healing. God, healing in our hearts, healing in marriages, healing in relationships, healing in families, healing in our culture. God, forgive us where we've judged. Forgive us where we've looked down and been critical, God, instead of being intercessors who believe for healing, God, but we thank you for that move of healing. And God, that today we would be those that say yes to you. If my people, God, teach us how to be those people who say yes. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's just take a moment to worship. And you pray, and then you say yes to God.